Okay, so my name is Miles, like Del was saying, and uh, I hang out with the, the, the Kaya group. So uh, I'm with the College Young Adults, and I serve on the missions team as well. And me and Lisa, we just spent the past week in Dallas, which is really, really great and exciting. Uh, and it's great because there's a lady down there named Angela Sanchez. And what's really cool about Angela is she's one of you all, right? She, she's a part of this class. Uh, she is a, a faithful disciple, a faithful discipler and minister down there. Uh, and she's uh, just got full of faith and trusting God to do a work. And so we're trusting God to, to plant a church in Dallas uh, as a church. That's one of the things that we're trusting God for. And so me and Lisa got to go down there and just to visit and to see and to encourage and to be encouraged. And it was really, really sweet. Uh, so one of the, the cool things about going down to Dallas and visiting is that my brother lives in Dallas and he's my younger brother uh, and he's a believer. He's saved, uh, but he's never had discipleship. Uh, he's never had more mature believers come alongside him and teach him what it looks like to have a walk with Christ. And so for me, I'm got, you know, I'm very excited about the idea of a church that, that's focused on evangelism, discipleship, equipping leaders and reproducing ministers. Uh, happening in Dallas because my brother is there, right? And I'm desperate for him to get plugged in somewhere where more mature believers can come alongside him and teach him what it looks like to have a mature walk with Christ. And so we got to spend a lot of time with him and to encourage him and just to share with him the vision for what we're trusting God for in Dallas. And he got excited and he got to, to meet Angela uh, and her son. Uh, he got to be a part of Bible study. And so that was really, really cool for him to get eyes on what we're trusting God for and for him to, to see the vision. We also got to just explore Dallas. So Dallas, Fort Worth, uh, for those of you who, who haven't been, is a big city. You know, they say everything's bigger in Texas. It's true, everything's bigger in Texas. It's crazy, right? And so we just get to explore the little nooks and the pockets in, in Dallas, Fort Worth area. Uh, we got to visit a number of college campuses down there. And what's really, really nice about Texas is those people are so kind and friendly. You could just strike up a conversation with any stranger on the street and they'll sit and they'll talk. Even if not, they're not interested in the gospel, uh, they'll at least uh, give you the time of day to, to talk with them, which is really, really nice. And so because of that, we got to have lots of spiritual conversations. We got to invite lots of people to Bible study. I got to share the gospel uh, with a number of people, uh, like to give a full gospel presentation with at least seven people, praise the Lord. Um, one of the ladies responded and came to Bible study that we met on one of the college campuses and she professed Christ. She, she got saved on Thursday night. Amen. How awesome is that? <clears throat> on Sunday, Lisa got to, to bring down Kid Town to Dallas. That's something that Angela doesn't have in Dallas, right? And so Lisa got to take down Kid Town lessons and crafts and got to teach Angela's son the Bible, which is so, so encouraging. It's something that she doesn't always get to, she doesn't get to, to have that. The things that we take for granted with the body, uh, she doesn't necessarily have that there. Uh, on Thursday, uh, James flew out uh, to be a part of Bible study, uh, and he got to lead us in the Lord's Supper and Communion, which another part of body life that she doesn't get to really partake in from Dallas. And so it's so sweet. You know, we just jumped into her Bible study and she's going creation to Christ, right? And they, they happen to be in Exodus 12, the Passover. Oh, it was like the perfect passage for this communion, right? And so we got to see uh, that the, the blood applied uh, and, and how that can, 
you know, save a soul. And for this visitor that came, she realized, man, I haven't applied the blood of Jesus Christ to my life. And she was able to see through that, that she needed Jesus Christ to, to save her. And so she professed, you know, Jesus as Lord and Savior. And then she got to partake in communion with us. It was so, so sweet, y'all. It, it was awesome. Uh, and again, Angela, she's about it. She's an LFBI student and she's taking the things that she's learning and she's just running with it. She's applying it. Uh, she's discipling, she's leading Bible study, and she's trusting God for more. And so this is something, this is a huge prayer request for us as a class, for us as a church, is to get behind what's happening there and to keep them in prayer, uh, to, to encourage them. Again, I think just having family, you know, or, or her family. And so just having family there just to, to love on her and uh, just to, to live life together is just so, so encouraging. And the cool thing is my brother got to come to Bible study on Thursday. And so he got to see the gravity of what we're trusting God for. He got to witness a soul saved. He's never shared the gospel with someone. He's never led someone to the Lord. And so for him to see how simple just taking the Bible and opening it up with people and the impact that that can have on a life, on a soul, it was eye-opening for him. And so please be praying for my brother uh, that he would you know, be desperate to, to grow in his walk relationally with the, with the Lord. Um, you know, he's again, a baby believer, uh, but I, I'm just trusting God that he could be uh, in time, uh, a key member just of a, a church in Dallas at some point. Uh, his name's Logan. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we got to be a part of in Dallas. It was very, very encouraging. Uh, and so let's continue just to, to keep them in prayer. Uh, we just got back on, on Friday and kind of hit the, the ground running. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, it, it was awesome. It was so, so sweet. And so if you guys have any questions about that, uh, get with Del and Serene, uh, get with James and Rosie, uh, and you can pick their brains. Uh, but you guys are doing a great job of loving on them. Uh, it was really, really cool to get down there and to talk with her. And again, she's far away, right? She's an eight-hour drive away from us. And she expressed that she can feel the love and the family of MBT from, from eight hours away. Uh, the fact that there are people here uh, like Deb and Rosie that are accessible, like Serene, that are intentional to reach out and just to love on her and to check in, it means the world to her. And so just for, for those of you who are uh, maybe a little bit closer to her, uh, know that she feels that love and she's so, so thankful for those relationships. And so with that, I'm going to pray for, for her, and then I'm going to pray for the message, and we're going to dive into what God has for us this morning, okay? Lord, we are thankful uh, for Jesus Christ. We're, we're thankful for his blood uh, that, that's washed over us, and the beautiful thing about his blood is it's not only saved our soul, but it's put us in this beautiful family, and this is something that we often take for granted, that the fact that we have brothers and sisters in such close proximity uh, that can invest in our kids, uh, that we can lean on when times are hard. And so, Lord, we thank you for this body. Uh, we thank you for people like Angela and Dallas uh, that are full of faith and just trusting you for more there. We pray that you'd bless the ministry that's going on there, that you'd bless the Bible studies, uh, that we'd see many more souls saved, and ultimately that we'd see a, a, you know, uh, a living faith church planted in, in Dallas uh, that's bent on reaching souls, uh, seeing disciples made, equipping leaders and reproducing churches and ministry all over the world. And so we, we pray for this, Lord. Uh, and as we open up your word, uh, we just want to, to soberly consider what you have for us this morning. These are the very words of God. And I know it's easy to come on a Sunday morning 
just out of routine, you know, just to come because this is what we do. Uh, but if we allow it, your words can completely transform us. Uh, and you desire to speak to us this morning. And so, Lord, I pray that we come with expectation to hear from you, uh, that we come with an open heart to receive your word, uh, with ears to hear. Uh, and, Lord, that, that you continue to do, to do the work of conforming us to the image of Christ. Uh, we don't want to just casually, you know, we don't want to play at church like Sam says. Uh, we want to trust you to be a part of a ministry uh, that can impact the world. And so, Lord, as we consider uh, the, the life of Philip, uh, we pray that you teach us our part in that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All righty. Uh, so today we will be hanging out uh, really in Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 8. And so if you guys aren't tired of Acts by now, well, you'll never get tired of Acts. It's awesome, right? This is maybe the most exciting book in the entire Bible. It's full of action. We get to see uh, miracles and wonders. We get to see souls being saved. We get to see the early church being established. Uh, and today we're going to do a character study on the person of Philip, right? And really, as much as this is a character study on the person of Philip, uh, we're going to do kind of a study on the, the character and the methods of an evangelist, the character and the methods of an evangelist. And know that, that God has called us to be evangelists. He's called us to be witnesses, to be ambassadors of him, right? And that's our job. Uh, the, the Bible says that, that he that winneth souls is wise. And so it's important for us to consider what our part is, for us to refine our skills in evangelism, and to consider what it means for us to live out the life of an evangelist. And before we kind of explore, you know, the methods of an evangelist, the characters of an evangelist, uh, I think it's kind of needful to start with the whys. I'm a why guy. So, you know, when my parents would tell me, oh, you know, you need to, to clean your, your room before you can go out and play, I'd always say why. And I'd quickly realize that wasn't the best way to, to say why, you know, not bad idea. But I, I like to understand the whys behind things, right? And if I can understand the whys, then the, the actions behind it uh, become so much more important to me, right? So us just going out and evangelizing because it's what we do, man, that, that's cool. But when we get the heart of evangelism, we understand God's heart and the why behind it, that changes our entire framework of approaching evangelism, right? And so before we kind of jump into uh, these, the, the methods, the character of an evangelist, we're gonna look at four whys. Uh, this is by no means comprehensive, uh, but hopefully this just kind of gets the ball rolling and us considering why we need to be a part of this, why we should be given to this, why this is such an important thing for all of us to prioritize in our lives. And so we're just gonna jump into it. So the, the first why is because it's the only logical response to a resurrected Christ in terms of why evangelism. Uh, you know, Jesus, he proclaimed to be the way, the truth and the life. So he, he proclaimed to be the life and then he defeated, he beat death. And so if someone proclaimed to be the life and didn't die, I would take note of that, right? Whenever he, he resurrected, that's the single greatest event to take place in human history. And the implications of his resurrection, well, it's life and death, right? And so once you've reckoned Christ uh, to be risen, how could you not share that? It, it doesn't make sense. And so we see this incredible example of this in Luke chapter 24. Uh, in Luke chapter 24, we find two disciples. Uh, they were disciples of Christ leaving Jerusalem for a town called Emmaus. Some of you are familiar with this passage, right? 
And they, they weren't numbered amongst the 12, but they were certainly followers of Jesus. And so you can imagine they would have been there and they would have witnessed the, the teachings of Jesus Christ in the flesh, right? They, they would have witnessed uh, these incredible miracles that he performed. Uh, they would have witnessed Jesus coming into the city of Jerusalem and being received. And actually, they probably would have been waving palm leaves as Jesus entered Jerusalem, screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna, welcoming in the Messiah into the city, right? And within a week span, they would have seen and witnessed the tides just completely turn. They would have seen just the, the horrific death by way of crucifixion of this man that they just welcomed into this city. And so what we see in Luke chapter 24 is these disciples are leaving Jerusalem to Emmaus and they're devastated. They're confused. Their heads are down. You know, how could this man that they perceived to be the Christ suffer these things and die? They're wrestling with this, right? And even that morning as they were leaving, they had heard rumors of his resurrection, but they hadn't yet believed it for themselves. They didn't have room in their theology for a Messiah that was going to suffer these things. They were looking for a king to come in and to usher in this political kingdom that's going to come and defeat the Romans and usher in this physical kingdom there on earth. And so it wasn't until a man came alongside them on this road to Emmaus uh, that they became you know, their eyes were enlightened and they began to understand a risen Christ. And this man wasn't just anybody. You know, as we read this, the story in Luke 24, we learned that this man was Jesus. And the scriptures say that, that their eyes were holding that they shouldn't know him, right? And so Jesus starts walking with these guys and they, they don't know that it's him. It's not that they can't pick him out of a crowd. It's not that they don't know what Jesus looks like. Their, their eyes were holding that they shouldn't know him. And Jesus starts to explain to them the scriptures. It says from Moses through, through all the prophets, he starts teaching them why it was needful for the Messiah to suffer these things. And so it wasn't until they had the Bible that explained all these things that they began to believe the very words of God and their eyes were enlightened. And when their eyes were enlightened, it says that they saw Jesus, right? They, they saw Jesus for who he really was. And the only reasonable solution to them understanding that Jesus had actually resurrected, that he had actually defeated sin and death, once they understood these things, they did the only reasonable thing. They dropped everything. They ran back to Jerusalem to proclaim a risen Christ. And you say, yeah, that makes sense. That, that was reasonable. Well, to, to the world, that doesn't make any sense at all. You see, the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus was about seven to eight miles. Seven to eight miles. So you can imagine journeying eight miles, you finally get there. And it says that their eyes were enlightened after they broke bread. And so this man, Jesus, that was just a stranger to them at the time, they invited him to come and stay with them, right? Uh, they wanted him, they said they wanted him to abide with them. Man, they just wanted to abide with Jesus. And so they constrained him. They said that the day is far spent. Would you abide with us? And so Jesus abode with them. And as soon as he broke the bread, they saw that it was Jesus, right? And then he disappeared just like that. And so the day was far spent. So it's nighttime, right? They had just journeyed eight miles. They were just unwinding and eating. And immediately they dropped everything to leave and go back to Jerusalem to journey another eight miles in the dark, in the nighttime. That's unreasonable from, from the world's view. The world would say, oh, you can at least wait till the morning, you know? But no, there was an urgency to this message that they needed to get out, right? 
for Paul, he tells us the opposite. You know, it's a, this beautiful picture. Jesus walked and talked and communed with them during the day, and he removed himself at night. And immediately it was time to get to work. And, you know, we're, we're part of the church. This, this is the, the nighttime that we live in. You know, uh, for, for Paul, he tells us that the night is far spent, right? Therefore, we ought to cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. It's time to get to work. And so for us, there, there ought to be an urgency to communicate the fact of a risen Christ, right? There, there ought to be an urgency for us to communicate the fact of a risen Christ. And so these disciples would journey eight miles back to Jerusalem in the nighttime after being wearied, not having a chance to eat, just so they could proclaim Jesus Christ is risen. It was the only logical response once they reckoned the resurrection. And so one, why should we share? Why, why should we be an evangelist? because it's the only logical response that we reckon a resurrection. Two, why is because you were told to, right? Just like I shouldn't have questioned my mom when she told me to clean my room. It's because I told you so, right? And so y'all, you were told to, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. You know it, this is the, the great commission, right? We get to, to be co-laborers. We get to, to, to join Jesus in this work of expanding the kingdom of God. Uh, this is the mission that we're saved to. This is the, the thing that we ought to devote the whole of our lives to. And in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus came and spake unto them saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And what's beautiful about this commission is the call to evangelism is at the very center of it, right? Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Go, right? That, that's the call to evangelism. And those who respond in faith are to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and to teach them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, which is discipleship. And there's no qualifications for this call, right? If you're born again, then this is a task that you've been called to do. This is a task that you've been called to join into. And what's really profound about this particular statement is in Acts 1, verse 8, we see Jesus basically echoing the same things. And he says, be you witnesses of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost, right? And what's so cool about this statement is this is the last words that Jesus communicated to his disciples before he ascended up into glory, right? Before the clouds caught him up as he just floats away. It was just the most baller mic drop moment of all time, Right? But consider this, he spent all that time with these disciples, right? He spent all that time. And if he knows that he's about to leave, the very last words that he's communicating to them to set the course uh, for, for their trajectory in ministry, to emphasize the things that are important for, for them to not miss this one thing, it was, hey, make sure you're witnesses of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost, right? Those are his very last words that he wanted them to understand. And if we consider the, the most important man outside of Jesus Christ, in the past 2,000 years, well, it's our boy Paul, right? Paul was responsible for like half the New Testament. This guy, he, he planted the early churches, and he's just a, a ministry model for us. And Paul, if we consider him and the very last words that he communicated to his disciples, we see something similar, right? So if we look at Timothy, which is more than just a disciple to Paul, if we consider First and Second Timothy and how he's communicating to uh, to, to Timothy, 
we can see very clearly that Paul doesn't just see him as a faithful minister. Timothy is not just a disciple. Timothy is his son. He sees Timothy as a son in the faith. And so whenever we read passages like 2 Timothy, and we see these last words to his son that he's communicating before he's dying, we read it with a whole new lens, right? I think about uh, Justin Trotter and him just kind of sharing the last weeks that he had with his father and the conversations that they got to have, right? And the things that that Mark was uh, communicating to him with an urgency and sobriety, knowing that his time was at end, right? And wanting to make sure that he said some important things to his son to, to, for, you know, his trajectory and, and life and ministry to emphasize the important things. And so for Paul, it'd be the same thing. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, the very last chapter of 2 Timothy, when we see the things that he's wanting to make sure that his son doesn't miss, he says, but watch thou in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry, for I'm now ready to be offered and my time of departure is at hand. And so you consider these two men, again, for us, these are the two most important men in the past 2000 years. And we see that what they're communicating with their very, very last words to, to their disciples is of the utmost urgency to communicate the gospel to everybody, right? Do the work of an evangelist. This is so crucial to making full proof of your ministry. And so again, I don't know where you're at with your walk with Christ. Um, But I am here to tell you that as disciples, you've been given a job, right? It's a very simple job. It's not always easy, but it's very simple. It's to teach the gospel to all nations, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, to do the work of evangelists. These are the last words that both Jesus and Paul wanted to to communicate, right? They wanted to impart into us. And so we ought to take it seriously. Why evangelism number three? Because it's Uh, The only reason that we were left here. You know that? That's the only reason that you were left here after your salvation. Uh, Right now in Kaya, uh, our Bible studies are going through the book of Mark. And my favorite passage so far that we've studied in the book of Mark is in Mark chapter 5. And we see this man formerly named uh, Legion. Right? This guy is crazy. He's possessed of many unclean spirits. And the guy's like ridiculous, like he's Hulk strong. This dude is like tearing off chains. He lives amongst the dead. Like this dude's all sorts of jacked up, right? He's tormented of these unclean spirits. And Jesus comes and he enters into this man's life and he heals them in the most miraculous way, right? He leaves them in a right state of mind. And so this man, he does the thing that we wish that everybody would do whenever they encounter Jesus. And he says, can I follow you? hey, Jesus, can I go home with you? And you'd be like, man, of course, Jesus is going to say, yeah, come on the ship, come with me. But Jesus doesn't respond that way. In Mark chapter five, verse 19, it says, how be it, Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, go home to thy friends, tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And all men did marvel. And just like this man, the moment that you met Jesus and professed him as Lord and Savior, he healed you in the most miraculous way. Right? He healed you in the most miraculous way. And instead of Christ welcoming you home to heaven, he left us here with the sole purpose of going to find our friends and our family and telling them how great things the Lord have done for us and how he's had compassion on us, right? 
So we, like this man, this Legion man, have been given the same job. And what's so beautiful about this story is that this man was obedient. It says that he went into Decapolis and he published in Decapolis all the things that the Lord had done to him, right? And what's really cool is when you study that word Decapolis, you find out that Decapolis is actually 10 cities. So this guy got to work, right? He went around to 10 different cities proclaiming Jesus Christ. And y'all, he, he doesn't know anything. Remember, this is a man from the Gadarenes. This is a man that didn't grow up. This is not Jewish territory, right? He is a pagan man. He's a Gentile. And so he didn't grow up with the Torah. He didn't grow up studying the law. He didn't have any theological understanding. All he knew was I met Jesus Christ and it changed my life. And so he took the simplicity of his testimony and he shared it with anybody that would listen. We're all without excuse. If you've met Jesus Christ, that's all you need to share, right? And he did it. 10 cities. What are we doing? What are we doing? Why evangelism? Because it's the power of God and the salvation. Hello, somebody, right? If the other reasons weren't enough, the power of God and salvation. <clears throat> and as Paul said uh, to the church at Corinth, some have not the knowledge of God, right? Some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame, man. If you have, you know, we, we have the thing that the whole world is looking for, right? We, we have this thing that, 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 you know, people are looking for, for purpose. They're looking for hope. They're looking for love. They're looking for life. And man, that the word of God provides that it provides the answers to the things that, that, that the world is looking for. We have the solution, you know, uh, we, we think about people and say, you know, if you had the, the cure to cancer and you never shared it, man, that would be so jacked up, right? And we've got the, the cure to something even more important, to sin and death, right? And if we hold this message back, then we of all men are most wicked. We don't share this thing. It's the power of God and salvation. You don't share that? Man, that's, that's wicked. That's evil, we ought to be like Jeremiah, right? Jeremiah, when he decided that he's not going to share the word of God, this word that God had given to him, it said that he became weary with forbearing and he couldn't let it stay there, right? He said that the word of God was like a fire in his bones and he couldn't help but share it, but to communicate this word that God had given him. And that ought to be us. We, we, we shouldn't be ashamed of this message, right? It's the power of God and the salvation, and either we believe that or we don't. Uh, but if we believe it, we, we ought to speak it. And so these are the whys. And again, this is just a framework for us to, to wrap our head around. Why evangelism? These are the whys. And so now let's consider uh, kind of the, the methods, the, the character of an evangelist. And we'll see how far we get. Um, but this is meant to be a case study on the life of Philip. And we're looking at Philip because he's our prototype, right? He is the only individual in your Bible that's referred to as an evangelist. And so if you're wanting to learn about evangelism, he seems like a, a reasonable guy to study, right? And he's not just referred to as an evangelist. He's referred to as the evangelist, right? You can find that Acts 21 verse 8. He is the evangelist. And so get this down. This is the key picture. Philip pictures the life of a Christian living out the mission. Philip pictures the life of a Christian living out the mission the one thing that Jesus left us here to do. And so we ought to take note. And this 
Guy Phillip, he's a pretty big deal uh, as we study out these, these character qualities of an evangelist. Um, and so we're going to look in chapter six and chapter eight, and we're going to get some background about who he is. We're going to learn about his character. Uh, and then as we study chapter eight, we're going to see this incredible encounter with an Ethiopian man. And hopefully this will be practical and insightful and tactical to give us handles on how we can live out the Great Commission in our day-to-day lives. Because uh, this is the job that we've been called to, right? And so turn with me to Acts chapter 6. And we're just going to start reading the passage out loud um, and see what God has for us here. All righty, you guys have it? Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7 says, And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them, and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And this saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the, the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of priests were obedient to the faith. So that's an awesome passage, right? Here in Acts chapter 6, we are introduced to Philip. And what's really cool about this passage is we don't actually know a lot about Philip, right? I can't tell you anything about his upbringing. I can't tell you anything about his personality, really. I can't really tell you anything about his education. Uh, But the the passage reveals a great deal about his character, right? And in Acts chapter 6, we're introduced to the first conflict that arose within the early church. Uh, What we see is the gospel went forth to all people, and the church is starting to reflect that diversity, right? We see these groups of Grecian and Hebrew background believers that are coming together to worship together, which is incredible. This is awesome. And we see that their cultural differences, that their passionate preferences are starting to become glaring. And over time, we see that the Grecian widows are being neglected. And this is a huge conversation uh, as it relates to to race relations, as it relates to to cultural divisions within the church. Uh, And we don't have time to get into that today. And so to keep us from going on that tangent, really we see that the result of this conflict is the nomination and the ordination of deacons. And a deacon is simply a servant. You see, the, the apostles, they were overwhelmed with ministry. The Bible tells us that daily people were being added to the church, such as should be saved. It's a great problem to have, right? So their ministry is busting at the seams. And they didn't have the capacity anymore to address every issue, to address every service-oriented project uh, that, that's happening within their ministry. And so they recognized seven proven leaders and promoted them to recognize offices within the church with the sole intent to serve the body. That's what the office of a deacon does. They they serve the body. And so this is where we're introduced to to Philip. He's one of these seven men, 
And verse three tells us the qualifications of these seven men. They're to be men full of the Holy Ghost, full of wisdom, and of an honest report. Full of Holy Ghost, full of wisdom, and of an honest report. And for Philip to be numbered amongst these men, it speaks of his upstanding character and reputation, right? And again, we, we could camp out here on these qualifications all day and just not exhaust it, just looking at those three things. Uh, but for sake of time, we're, we're going to breeze by it. But I want you to see that out of the thousands of people that are being added to the church, everyone collectively agrees on these seven men. And so clearly they had a reputation uh, of godliness amongst all men. And the question for us is, is that you? Do you have a reputation in the body of believers of being, you know, of honest report, of being full of wisdom, of being full of the Holy Ghost? That, that, that was Philip's testimony amongst the early church. And so number one, an evangelist has a reputation of great character and godliness. Uh, evangelist has a reputation of great character and godliness. And this is a crucial aspect of an evangelist. If your actions and words don't reflect the nature of the gospel, then your witness will be a walking contradiction. If your actions and words don't reflect the nature of the gospel, then your witness will be a walking contradiction and it'll have no effect. As evangelists, we must consider our reports amongst others. Is it honest? You know, do you yield your life to, to the Holy Spirit or do you yield it to your own will and your own desires? Did you speak foolish words? Did you speak the words of God, words of wisdom? I think about Brandon entering into my life. And he was a man, you know, that, that I was attracted to because of his report. You know, he, he was not just a person that, that talked the talk, he walked the walk. He was a man uh, of great character and godliness. And I knew that from afar, and it drew me in to a point that led me here to MBT. He was a teacher at my high school. He's a teacher at my high school. It was, it was weird, you know, but he said, hey, man, let's grab coffee. And I went right across the street to Oddly Correct, and I sat down with him, and he asked me about my life, and he loved me, and he drew me into the ministry. Praise the Lord for, for Brandon. Praise the Lord for Brandon. <clears throat> so, again, we, we see a great deal about Philip's character just through those three qualifications. Uh, but have you ever considered what it was that Philip was actually doing as a deacon? You know, a deacon, that sounds kind of... Sounds kind of sexy, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm a deacon here at MBT, you know, it sounds important, it sounds significant, uh, but contrary to popular belief, Philip wasn't given to the sexiest ministries within the church. And in verse two, the 12 explain that there's no reason that they should leave the word of God to serve tables. So guess what Philip's doing? Whatever the mission requires is what he's doing. You know, if that means serving tables and he's about it so that the, the 12 could be given continually to prayer in the ministry of the word. And so he was engaging in, in the physical, the, the personal acts of service towards the body. He was doing the, the grunt work. He was doing the things that, that no one else really understood or saw behind the scenes. Uh, he was being a, a Chris Miller, right? W whatever the ministry requires. <clears throat> Philip did it, and we have to assume that he did it with excellence uh, because we see that the result of this in verse 7, is that the word of God increased and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And I know some of you guys are like, man, what's this have to do with evangelism? Serving the body? What's that have to do with evangelism? It has everything to do with evangelism? And we'll get there. Uh, but I've got a few observations about the results, about the, the word of God increasing and the number of the disciples being multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. 
Philip wasn't necessarily doing the work of an evangelist here, right? He's serving the body. And within the context of the local body, you know, he's serving them. And, and obviously he'd be edifying believers and members, uh, but it led to, to more people being added to the church. And, and I couldn't help but, but notice that this is joined, this is like intricately, intricately tied to the fact that he freed up the 12 to be given to prayer and the work of the word, right? So the 12 being able to be freed up to be given to, to the ministry of the word is directly tied to the word of God being increased greatly, right? And the 12 being freed up to pray is directly tied to the number of disciples uh, expanding greatly in Jerusalem. And so what's really, really beautiful is by Philip doing his job, he freed up the other ministers to do their job. And because of that, we see multiple disciples being multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. It's a great work. And it wasn't about him, you know? It wasn't about him being in the spotlight. It wasn't about him, you know, receiving the recognition for the things that he was doing. He was a faithful servant to the body and it freed up the ministers to do the work that they needed to do. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You know that you need to step up so that Dell can be given to the work of, uh, you know, work of the word and to prayer. Do you know that you need Dell praying for you? Do you know that, that we need to step up to take more things off Sam's plate so that he can be given to the, to the ministry of the word and to, to prayer? We need Sam praying for us, right? And so for, for me, you know, one of the greatest things I can do that is actually an incredible help to the body, an incredible help uh, to, to, to the body reaching out to the lost world and bringing others in is for me to, to serve Brandon, to serve in Kaya, for, for me to, to pick up responsibilities that can free him up to be given to the ministry, uh, to, to be given to the ministry of the word and to be given to prayer. Uh, the impact is multiplied disciples greatly, right? And so that's something that, that we ought to be con concerned with and consumed with. And really, this is the, the, the greatest way to, to practice and to grow in evangelism. So for me, I'm, I'm actually an introverted person. I'm actually, Del can attest to this, I'm the quiet guy in a room, right? Uh, and praise the Lord, he, he's growing me in that just to, to be able to communicate things that are needful to, to be communicated. But the way that I learned to evangelize is the same way that I learned to fish. Uh, it's shooting fish in a barrel, right? That, that's the easy way of doing it, right? And the beautiful thing is that, that MBT is the barrel. If someone's coming into our body, then they're vetted. They're not going to be caught off guard when you ask them about spiritual things. You know, they're not going to be caught off guard when, when you engage them and invite them to Bible study. They're, they're, they're in the barrel, right? And so for us, we can't assume that just because someone's coming to church means that they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We can't make those assumptions. We ought to, to love them, to get to know them, to serve the body in that way. And so it's really, really beautiful with Philip before he's ever reaching outside of the body, we see that he's concerned with the body of Christ, right? He, he's finding ways to serve within the body. Uh, and it's beautiful. It's beautiful. You see, Philip, he experienced the love of Christ and Christ's love towards him compelled him to supernaturally love others. Are you someone that's given to, to personally serving the body? You know, it's one of the beautiful things that we observe about Philip. He loves people well, in particular, those of the household of faith, those of the household of faith. And so, an evangelist loves and serves within the body of Christ. And I think about some of the missionaries that, that we support now. I think about guys like Brian Clark. Uh, before he was a missionary to London, do you know that he was a janitor at his sending church? 
you know, you think about, you know, these great people that we see with all reverence. It's like, oh man, before he ever went outside of the body to, to reach souls, he was serving the body where he was at. Are you someone that's given to serving the body? We, we need you. As an evangelist, we must humble ourselves to the service of others. And this is an unnatural thing for us to do because we're, we're selfish, right? We're, we're self-centered beings, but we have to learn to, to serve the body of Christ. And our service within the body of Christ will free its hands to extend into the lost world. And we ought to be the first ones, you know, to, to sign up. Whenever it's Faith Fellowship's time for, for cleaning day, are you here? You know, th these are simple acts of service that we can partake in. Uh, for Bible study, do you, do you bring snacks? <laughs> you know, uh, do you encourage others when they're down? Uh, you know, these are the things that we have to be given to. And I know you're saying, man, what does this have to do with evangelism? It has everything to do with evangelism. If you can't love God's people, how are you ever going to love the lost world? If you can't love God's people, how are you ever going to love the lost world? In Galatians 6, verse 10, it says, As we have therefore uh, uh, opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto those of the household of faith. Especially to those of the household of faith. And you'd think that in considering an evangelist, you'd start with the relationships with non-believers. But the truth is, until you can establish proper relationships and invest in those within the household of faith, it'll be very, very difficult to love those without. It'll be very difficult to love those without. And so with that, let's turn to Acts chapter eight and we'll see how far we get here. Uh, this is the next time that we see Philip show up. Uh, in verse one, it says, and Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which is at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hauling men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they were scattered abroad, went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake hearing and seeing the miracle which he did for unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them and many taken with palsy and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. All right. Th this is awesome. So the, the background to this passage is rising persecution in the church. Stephen, this is one of the 12, right? This is one of the, the, the men that were chosen alongside Philip. So you can imagine that this guy his ministry partners with Philip, that they, they would have served together uh, the, the church at Jerusalem. And you see that this man, he's killed. He's the first martyr in the church, and he's killed for his testimony, for his witness, for evangelism. And so persecution is becoming very, very severe, so much so that it's scattering the church. And God is persecuting those that are preaching the gospel. And so Philip, he went down into Samaria. And again, after witnessing one of his very best friends, uh, be, being butchered, be, being stoned, being killed for sharing his faith. He goes and, and he, he shares his faith, right? He, he does the exact same thing. It, it's contrary to anything that any of us would, you, you know, would tell us to do. But he goes and he preaches Christ in Samaria. And notice Philip went into Samaria. And in doing so, he'd be crossing cultural barriers, right? He would be going to people that were culturally despised by the Jews, and we see that it was worth it. You see, Philip, he, he was used to ministering cross-culturally in Jerusalem. 
the first ministry that he was given to was reconciling conflicts between the Grecian and the Hebrew background believers. And so it was just natural for him to do that, right? But by, by healing these divisions with Christ, he just applied Christ to the situation and smoothed things over. It's beautiful. Uh, we see him, man, we, we could learn from this greatly uh, with these cultural um, uh, divisions and things like that. He's just applying Christ to the situation. He's preaching the gospel and it's healing these, uh, these divisions by, by, by preaching Christ. Uh, but what's really beautiful is that he was effective in ministry where he was at. And those are the things that helped him whenever he was sent. Whenever he ended up in Samaria and whenever he ended up in, in Gaza preaching to this Ethiopian eunuch, we, we see that him being involved in ministry and taking the things that were in front of him were instrumental to him being effective whenever he was sent to other places, right? He's just doing what he's doing here, what he was doing in, in Jerusalem. It's the same ministry in Samaria and Jerusalem. And the message that healed these divisions, it was really, really simple. He, he didn't get in these huge theological, I'm sure he broke things down and started getting in the word, but the Bible just tells us that he preached Christ. It was a very simple message, right? So we learned that Philip was not only a man of upstanding character and godliness, he not only loved and served those within the household of faith, but he also loved and served those without, right? He's going to people that, that weren't yet a part of the fold and he preached Christ to them. And we see many confessing Christ. He was willing to cross cultural and geographic barriers and stuck to a simple message, the message of Christ. And so number three, an evangelist loves and serves those outside of the body of Christ. And this characteristic should go without saying, but the reality of this characteristic, the reality of this characteristic is proven under pressure. Remember the context of this passage, persecution is ramping up against the early church. Physical violence was at hand. And for the evangelists, opposition and persecution should only deepen the burden and desperacy to share this message, right? For an evangelist, persecution and opposition should only deepen and burden the desperacy to share this message. I think about some of the brothers and sisters that, that we have, and me and Del got to, to meet in India. And the response to persecution in India is a deepened fervency and desperacy for for. for that the people in India to know and to receive Jesus Christ. You know, th these men, we see people literally laying down their lives for, for, for this message. And whenever we see martyrs and things like that, instead of them responding with frustration and, 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 and fear and fighting, it's Lord save them. They, they don't know what they're doing. It's desperacy for this message to get out, right? Man, the, the heart of an evangelist is proven under pressure. A key point, a soul winner has to love souls. A soul winner has to love souls. There's a gentleman in our ministry whose mother just passed away. Uh, some of you know him. And this is a horrible situation. This man, he's younger than I am. And so you can imagine at a very young age, losing your mother in an incredibly devastating way. And his response to this is, this is an opportunity for me to preach Christ through her funeral, through, through her through her death and he's desperate for his family through this to be drawn to the lord it's beautiful it's beautiful but this is a horrible situation this is something that, that he can't understand or wrap his mind around why, why me and in it his concern is souls his concern is souls it's a man uh man we ought to love souls we ought to love souls uh, but i want you to see here that these qualifications for evangelists 
none of this has to do with a, a charismatic personality, right? You didn't hear me once mention that. This is, you know, someone of a good, uh, godly character, you know, people that, that love the body of Christ, people that love those without the body of Christ, has nothing to do with a charismatic personality. It has nothing to do with an encyclopedic knowledge of the Bible, right? They, they stuck to a simple message that they preached Christ, right? Again, this is something that's for all of us. There are no caveats to this. If you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then this is something that you've been called to, right? Um, and then wrapping up, uh, we're going to consider um, this encounter with the Ethiopian eunuch in verse 26. Uh, we see, what time does, does the class wrap? Okay, we're going to do a blitz to do this. Okay. Um, so we see this encounter, and I would read the passage, but for time's sake, I don't think that we have time. You should go back and read uh, chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Uh, it is beautiful. It's beautiful. Uh, but essentially what we have going on here um, is uh, Philip goes into Samaria. We see this in, in verse 5. He's preaching at Samaria, and we see that revival happens, right? We see that ministry is booming there. This is the epicenter of Christian activity at that time. Like, like ministry is so booming here that, that we see the apostles, James and John, come down just to, get, to partake in the action, right? Souls are getting saved left and right. It's beautiful. It's exciting. And just as ministry is booming, just as the, the action is getting real, we see that the Holy Spirit calls to up to leave the, this place of incredible ministry, of incredible fruitfulness, and to go down by Gaza into the desert. Doesn't make any sense, right? This guy, he's leaving the 99 literally to go after the one. Uh, and it's beautiful. And so we see that as he goes down there, he meets uh, this man from Ethiopia uh, that is, uh, you know, a man of great reputation. This man is responsible for the treasury of Queen Candace, is what the, the, the passage tells us. And, and he's leaving uh, Jerusalem and going back uh, to, to Ethiopia. And we see that Philip joins himself to this man's chariot. Uh, this man is reading out of the prophet Isaiah, and Philip asks a simple question, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, how can I, unless some man explain it to me? And so Philip, starting at that passage in Isaiah 53, begins to, to preach Christ to him. And, and we see that this man accepts Jesus as his Lord and Savior and falls with believer's baptism. It's a beautiful passage. It's a beautiful passage. I didn't do it any justice. You should read it on your own. Uh, but we get to, to learn some incredible things uh, just in terms of uh, some methods of a successful evangelist. And so as we close, I just want to let you leave with this. These are going to be practical, tactical things for us to take with us as we go out and hit the streets and meet and interact with people personally. Uh, the, so number one, the primary method of a successful evangelist has nothing to do with strategy. Man, this is where I get caught up. Is, man, can I, can I say things the right way? Can I approach it the right way? How do I, you know, it has nothing to do with strategy. The primary method of a successful evangelist has nothing to do with strategy, and it has everything to do with obedience. It has everything to do with obedience. And so we're going to consider just the nature of obedience. The nature of obedience, it begins with hearing, right? Uh, obedience requires hearing. We have to be sensitive to, to God speaking into our lives. Uh, for Philip, the, the angel of the Lord said, arise and go. And so he arose and go. It started with him hearing the angel of the Lord, Right. Next, the, the spirit led him to join himself to the chariot. You get to be sensitive to the spirit's poking and prodding, that we would also join ourselves 
and to, to the people that are all around us. And so for us, what hearing looks like is being sensitive as we li listen and, and partake in, in reading the word of God, being sensitive to spirit as it pr pr pokes us and prods us uh, to go have conversations with, with, with people that we interact with. Uh, the, the lady that got saved in Dallas, uh, man, I saw her on the college campus. She was sitting by herself and she just looked down. And, and man, I knew like God was just kind of poking me to, to, to talk to her. And I said, hey, Lisa, I, I think she could probably use a friend. And so Lisa went up to, 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 to sit, to talk with her, no matter where she was at. Man, she, she accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We have to be sensitive as God is leading us, right? Uh, the nature of obedience requires action. It's not enough just to, to, to know the Great Commission. You have to live the Great Commission, right? It's not enough to, to, to just know your Bible. You actually have to open your mouth. Um, man, uh, the, the nature of obedience doesn't always make sense. And this is really, really important for, for me. You know, it's easy for us to justify why we shouldn't do things God's way. You know, and it could be for really good reasons. It could be, man, I'm a part of revival in Samaria. Why would I leave right now, God? You know, I think about Dan Renault and ministry was booming here at MBT for him. Kyle was growing. It was, it was a blast, right? It was a fun ministry to be a part of. You know, for him to leave a thriving ministry, for a lot of people, it wouldn't make any sense, you know? Uh, but, but God called him to, to, to go. And so he did. For Philip... Remember, he's caught up in revival. It wouldn't make any sense for him to leave, especially when he consider where he's going. Hey, go south to Gaza, to the desert. You know, a desert is a place where, where nothing grows. It's a place that's not comfortable. It's a place that, that, that's not densely populated. This direction makes no sense when we look at it through carnal eyes, which is why we have to look at it through spiritual eyes. You know, the, the beautiful thing about that passage in Mark chapter five with Legion is right before he encounters Legion, he preached the parable of the sower. He talked about these different types of ground to sow seed on. And man, if you looked at it with carnal eyes, you'd say, man, Legion, he's not good ground to sow, sow seed on. I wouldn't even waste my time casting seed on him. But man, when you look at it through spiritual eyes, this man is ripe and ready for harvest, right? And so we have to see things with spiritual eyes. It won't always make sense to us. Um, yeah. Uh, I think we should close there. Uh, there's some other great insights that we can look into uh, in this passage. And I pray that, uh, man, you guys have time to, to, to dig in there. But hopefully this is just a, a good place to get the ball rolling in terms of, of how we ought to view ourselves in light of the Great Commission. God's called us to partake in work that's bigger than ourselves. Uh, and it, it's a beautiful thing to be a part of. Uh, and so uh, I pray that you see God's heart uh, for people. Uh, he, he loved the world so much that he's willing to send his only begotten son, that, that, that he would die a death that we all deserved. Um, and so that's a big deal. And the fact that we get to, to share this message that has the power to transform, again, this lady that received Christ, me and Lisa, we, we just kept, we're excited because it's eternity, y'all. It's eternity. Man, it, it's awesome. And so I pray that you see that, that this is for you, that this is for us. This is something that we ought to take seriously. This is something that, that we ought to live out. If you can go a week without preaching the gospel, what? If you can go a whole week without 
what? That doesn't make any sense. Y'all, he saved your soul for eternity. It transformed your entire life. This is a message that we ought to find avenues to communicate on not just a weekly basis, on a daily basis, right? And so I'm just going to close in prayer. Uh, and if you have questions about evangelisms, uh, if you have questions about practical, tactical approaches, uh, please grab me, grab Dell. Uh, but this is something that we want to take seriously uh, as a fellowship class, as a church, as Christians, right? And so, Lord, as we close, uh, we, we thank you so much uh, for allowing us to, to partake in the ministry uh, that's bigger than us, for allowing us to partake in the ministry uh, that, that's changed our lives, that's given us life, Lord. And for us to be able to share this good news with other people, uh, we count it a privilege. This is something that we get to partake in. And so, Lord, I, I pray that we'd get your heart for this, uh, that we'd grow burdened and couldn't help but share the hope that we have in you. Uh, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.